Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Kurt, another week, another PBT extra. We, I mean, I'm flabbergasted in what's happening right now. I mean... Beyond Jimmy Butler's incredible performance and just like the the gravitas of the playoffs, I mean, how are you doing? Are you are you like okay? <laughs> are you, are you, how's your week going? I'm weirdly okay. No, it's do. I mean, it's a little. It's a lot at this time of year. It's a lot of trying to prep for the draft and free agency while covering you know games and, and going to games. But also, but I took twenty four twenty four hours off forty actually like forty eight hours off over the weekend, and we. Wife and I threw a Kentucky Derby party at our house and about 40 friends over, watched the Derby, drank mint juleps, just had some ribs and uh, chilled out. And then, uh, you know, went to a concert over the weekend and then dived back in Monday afternoon, Monday night, going to the game. So um, I'm kind of refreshed. I got my, I got my time off. What about you? What have you been, you've been, you got you busy too. Yeah, I've been all over the country, uh, but I'm happy to be back home in, in my little haven, in my garden that I built for myself. My library is right here. So I got my garden. I got my library. And that's what Cicero said. That's all you need in life is a garden and a library. Uh, you know, but, it, you know, as far as like what I've been thinking about outside of basketball, I don't know, man. Artistically, I think I hit another slump again. Oh. I'm not really seeing anything that I think is, you know, really, really stellar. I, I will say. I've been thinking a lot about this movie called Beau Travail recently by Claire Denise, uh, a French filmmaker who's very talented. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen I it? I have not seen it. It is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Like, hands down, gorgeous. The movie itself, like, plot line is not very interesting. You know, it, very, it lacks in that department, but it's shot in Djibouti. And I've been oh. thinking a lot about light. And it is like, I had no idea how gorgeous Djibouti was. They're like salt flats. They're like black lava fields. You know, there are like deserts. You know, there are like like forests. It has like everything you could imagine, like glacial lakes, I guess. It has like literally everything. Volcanoes. I did not know it was so, you know, naturally rich. So th- this movie, um, the way that they shot it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so I was just thinking about the light. And then the soundtrack, it's basically what I would consider a military ballet. follows like these French Commodores and uh, like jealousy in the ranks and stuff. But like it, it they, the way they shoot it in the movements are very akin to ballet and it's scored to like, I don't know if you know, like uh, Prince Bonnie, but like, like really like underground indie folk, you know, singer folk oh, wow. and like Benjamin Britten opera. <laughs> That's the soundtrack. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. That's it's a very wild. Strange. Okay. Now, yeah, now yeah. we will find it. No, I'll, 
I, I, there's, there's actually going to be days off coming up and uh, plane flights where I can watch some films. So yeah, I, I can send it to you. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the most, it, it is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. But anyway, back to basketball. Back to basketball. So Boston, Philadelphia, forced game seven. Now, this was interesting. I thought Philly was looking pretty dominant there. I thought they were going to close it out. Jason Tatum did not play well. Got yeah. six. Let's just call it like it is until the fourth quarter. And I remember third quarter, Kurt, I was thinking to myself, Jason Tatum's going to go off. I know he's only made one shot, but he's going to go off because this is what superstars do. And what do you know? What do you know? Uh, I My thought in the third quarter was more along the lines of the Sixers haven't put this away. Like this was – they're at home, up 3-2. They've got – this is the – this has got to be almost their game seven, and Jason Tatum is can't throw – use the old Chick Hearn line. He can't throw a pee in the ocean. He J, Brown is okay. I think two things got to be into this. A, the Sixers just they're going to regret that. Like that was the opportunity, and they didn't grab it with both hands and take it. The other part of that is this is the other thing. I think the theme of for me, the more and more the theme of these playoffs has become about depth, and the Celtics' depth came to play. Marcus Smart was great and kept them yeah. in touch. Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White hit three. They, the three of them were eight of 11 from three in the first half. It kept them in touch. They didn't let them lose touch so that when Tatum woke up, they had a chance. That, that to me, has just become the theme across the playoffs is that you've got to have playable depth to survive. And Boston depth saved them in this one because their stars didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And this is the issue, you know, when you're looking at great teams and you're right, if you don't close them out, if you give them any sort of life, you know, it, it's just dangerous, especially in that scenario. So to me, going into game seven, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Where do you land now? Because Boston, they, I mean, they played, like you said, they played pretty bad. Like the Stars did not play well. And yet... They won and forced a game seven elimination on the road. Now they're going to play at home with that confidence going into it. Do you think the fourth quarter will transition over? I kind of think so, only in this sense. Like, and this is what you and I have talked about. This I've been saying this now, writing about this now for I don't know months. It feels like Boston. I think is the best team in the NBA when they want to be the best team in the NBA when they're playing with urgency and focused and motivated, they are better than anybody. They just don't do it on a consistent basis. And we can spend time discussing whether that's on Tatum and Brown as the leaders or how much of that falls to Missoula or whatever. They don't do it. But, I mean, I'd like to think, and I'm going to – I would make my bet based on the idea that game seven they're going to. Game seven – they'll bring that focus and they'll just be a little too good for Philly. That said, they get another get another James Harden game or Joel Embiid's going to be good, but if he can get Maxi or Embiid or Harris or somebody to go off with him, then, yeah. then there's a chance. But I, I think it's, I yeah, think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I go, I go Philly. I think Philly will, really? will right the wrong here. And I think it's going to be, I was just reading about Hakeem Olajuwon who, you know, you talk about big, dominant, you know, centers from Africa, (laughs) like Hakeem and Joel. And there was a moment when Hakeem, after he rededicated himself to his Muslim faith, he came back 
and he just led the Houston Rockets to back-to-back championships, right? But one of those in the in the 90s, he was league MVP. He finally got the league MVP, finals MVP, and a championship. One of the only times in NBA history, it was a very short list before that, yeah. uh, for someone to sweep it at that time. And I just was like, you know, reading about Hakeem and watching him and, and how he took that next step um, in his career. It was about the same time because Hakeem got in, what, 84? And this was in yeah. 92, 93. I mean, it's about the same time Joel Embiid, you know, where he is in his in his career. And he definitely took that next step, finished second in voting, just like Hakeem finished second in voting to Charles Barkley. And then he had his moment. I think this is Embiid. I, I think he's going to um, do what Hakeem did back in the early 90s. And I think he's going to go MVP, finals MVP, and win his first championship. First All-NBA selection as well. So I, I, I never got Hakeem at the time. This is unfair. He was also Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just there's, crazy. The only didn't Giannis do that a couple of years ago? MVP, Defensive Player yeah. of the Year, and, yeah. and Michael Jordan did it too. I was like, yeah. I was like, wait a second, Michael Jordan was MVP. I mean, at his side. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, how good was this guy? You know, so yeah, sometimes you have to like pinch yourself and you're like, this is crazy. MVP, yeah. Defensive Player of the Year, and Finals MVP is just. Absolutely, my. Anyways, I think that's going to happen in Game Seven. I, I think. I think the it. other fun part of Game Sevens is they're low scoring. I know the home team wins a lot, but they tend to be close games, and everybody's a little. I think it's part of the reason they're low scoring is everybody's tight. I mean, part of it is you played six games, you know what the other team is doing defensively. You can get some stops, but everybody feels the pressure of that moment differently, right? And and a lot of guys get T-Rex arms, man, and they're, they're, their shots are a little bit short and the passes are a little bit off and, and everybody's a little bit tight. In fact, I remember the first Game 7 I covered here at NBC was Game 7 of the 2010 NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Lakers-Celtics, um, no Kendrick Perkins. I still think the Celtics probably win that one if Perkins is healthy. Um, and Celtics fans probably think that too. But that game, the best players on the floor are – Ron Artest, Metta World Peace, and Rasheed Wallace, the two kind of streetball guys who are just like, whatever, with your human pressure and whatever. Like, I don't – the guys who don't care about the moment are just like tearing it up out there because they're, the, they're the guys not playing tight. Everybody else – yeah, Kobe, Garnett, Pierce, everybody's – I mean, nobody's having bad games, but everybody's a little tight. And those guys are just like, whatever. It's just – is might as well be a Tuesday in November for them, man. They're just out there playing. Yeah, you got to have guys like you know in the Spurs we had Steve Kerr, right? Yeah. Like you got to have guys who come on and take over the Lakers right now. It's Lonnie Walker, right? Like you got to have those guys who can have like a fifteen point fourth quarter for you because you're right. I mean, at, at a certain point, this is where the depth kind of shows out. Yeah, and you know someone who's in the back of the bench, someone who hasn't really done anything all series long, all playoffs long. This is their moment. You know, we've seen every counter and every counter to the counter. <laughs> it's like. Now we need someone to come up and give us 10 points. That's going to make the difference. Cause you're right. Like, and that's the difference between like a, let's say like a Denver Phoenix series where, you know, like you look at halftime scores, it's like 70 something. Yeah. You know, to, it, it's just crazy. And you look at the, the Boston Philly, it's like old school nineties basketball, like the fourth quarter, it's 75 to 72, <laughs> you know? So 10 points in that scenario, if you can give me 10 from the bench out of nowhere, come out of the woodwork. Yeah. That is the well, difference. I remember, Game seven, second round last year, Bucks and Celtics. 
that's the Grant Williams game, mm-hmm. right? 27 from Grant yep, Williams exactly. out of nowhere and, and changes to get like, well, we're going to dare him to shoot. And he's like, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll Robert Ory for the Lakers. I mean, you know, there's yeah. always that guy who does that. And then you kind of write your name into lore. I don't know who this person's going to be, but I am, I, I think it's going to go Philly. Now I, I am curious though. It, back, actually, I'll say this before we move on to Denver Phoenix. I think you were right on earlier. You mentioned it briefly. I want to pick it back up. You said, why isn't this team consistent? And for me, I think that's on Jason Tatum. And, I, and I, because if you're the franchise guy, the thing that makes you excellent, you know, because, you know, he said it after the interview, humbly, I'm one of the best basketball players in the world. And he is, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that makes you elite, like Kobe or Michael or, you know, any of those guys, Hakeem that we mentioned, is that they do that every night yeah. against the best of the best, you know, against Carl Malone, you know, against Larry Bird, and, and against, you know, someone that you don't even know was in the NBA. Right? Wait, that guy was an NBA guy? Like, they do it every single night. Uh, not just back against the wall elimination game on the road. So once Jason Tatum gets, and he's so young, but once he gets to that level in his own, own basketball maturity, because I can see him growing, his leadership skills are developing in real time. I think late 20s, you'll see him hit that switch where he just says, I'm a killer every night. And that's what I think the Boston Celtics are going to be like really dangerous dynasty type of territory. Yeah, I think they're pretty close now, but they, look, I, I still think you're, whoever comes out of that game seven is your title favorite still, right? They're still the best team they're the best team going. They will, they will go on to face the winner of that uh, game seven between New York and Miami. Um, yeah, what do you think about this? Because um, I know Miami confounded us. Yeah. Now Jimmy Butler. I mean, even when he had that little bit of an injury, still comes out drops twenty eight. Like you know, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, what? Where do you think this leans? I, I we're doing this hours before this. I think the Heat close it out in this one. I. Their role players have just been – I mean, Butler's been great everywhere, but their role players tend to be more consistent at home. And the rest of that roster – I mean, outside Bam Adebayo kind of is role players. So I think you're going to get a big – again, we talk about this. I don't know who it's going to be. might be Struess, might be Max Vincent, might be Duncan Robinson, might be Kyle Lowry, might be somebody. Somebody's going to step up for them and have a big game, and I think – the other question is just what do the Knicks have in the tank? They won game five, but it took 48 minutes from Jalen Brunson having to carry that load. I mean, he was phenomenal in that game. But 48 minutes of him, 48 minutes of Grimes, heavy minutes for a lot of guys. A, a, a horrible start and then resurgent second half from um, Julius Randle in that game where he was just gritty and, and didn't get down after a bad first first half. I don't know that they can repeat that. Like, I don't know that they can repeat that on the road. What about you? Yeah. You know, when before life leaves, right, there's that spasm, right? And then life goes. And I think that was the spasm. I mean, and sometimes it's 3-1. You're like, okay, let's just clean it up. And then uh, there's this gritty, remarkable performance that forces another game, right, before you say, okay, let's take care of business. Now it's 4-2. There's nothing left in the tank. That was it. And I think that's what we saw from the Knicks. And I think you're right. Somehow – this Heat team continues to yeah. just blow my mind and defy all odds, given the evidence we saw this season. They're pulling in. They're, they're just drawing from some reserve that I, I don't know where the aqua, like aquifer is. I don't know where the water's coming from, but they just keep pumping it out. It's unbelievable to me. It's a miracle. But I think they're going to go. I think it's going to be – this is it. Yeah, I think it's Miami and whoever wins that game seven. And then the other 
tight one tonight. Lakers Warriors. Do you feel like and we were just saying we're not sure the Knicks have a chance. Do you do you feel differently about the Warriors? Yeah, I do. This is, you know, like I said, this Lakers team post trade deadline they've retooled Kurt where, you know, I underestimated I didn't know how the pieces were going to fall. I think they they and they've proven to me over this course of the playoffs that they do have depth. Yeah. And they do have, you know, um, like I said, Lonnie Walker, uh, uh, Austin Reeves. They do have people who can consistently do that. I didn't think Reeves was, was ready for that, you know. Yeah. But but honestly, I guess if you're playing next to LeBron James, who's, you know, one of the all-time greats, and he believes in you, he keeps passing you the ball, and he talks you up, you know, I thought that was going to be a, a very short amount of time of, like, high performance. But he's proven that he, you know, he believes that he can do it. And LeBron believes in him and Anthony Davis believes in him. And I guess that's enough. So he's taking his game to the next level. And I've been absolutely blown away to see how consistent he's been. Um, So I think this Lakers team can do it, like go very far, you know, further. Obviously, they're very far now, but keep going. But there's something about this Warriors team, Kurt, that just. And like, I know they're defending champs. They don't really like look it. But there's something about this team that like every time I count them off, I write them off. They beat the Kings, you know. I write them off. The Lakers are coming back, and then they force a game seven. You know, so there's something about them that I don't want to do that again. So I'm going to go Warriors. What about you? They need – this comes back to the depth issue. I mean, Curry's going to be Curry, and he might have a fantastic night, but they really need game six clay, right? Like, they they need somebody else to step up. In game five, that was Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins gave them a really good night. Now, he's going to play through a rib injury. We'll see how how he can go. Um, Jordan Poole would be helpful, but I, I'm reached the Jordan Poole is so in his own head. He's not going to help phase. Like I don't, I, hmm. his interview after, after the last, um, last game where he struggled and they came up and they were like, they talked to him in the locker room. He didn't even turn around. He faced his locker. He didn't turn around and face the media. He just kind of did media with his head down. He's, he's not in a good space right now. And I'm not sure he breaks out of it in time for this series. So it's, I, I think they need clay. And I think at home, the Lakers, what do Anthony Davis and LeBron James have left? I, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of my big questions too. It's like, I, I <laughs> yeah. they're flying down the highway and I'm just like, man, like, are they on empty yet? I, it's like, I mean, cause you know, when you're driving sometimes I, I love driving. I used to do a lot of road trips and you're driving for like eight hours, 12 hours and you, you're getting close to that E. And then sometimes yeah. you're like, I know that when I hit E, I still have 80 miles. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. right now, talking about this Lakers team, we're like, I, like, I know, like, they're on E, but I'm like, well, how much mile can we really make it? Like, you know, El Paso is 100 miles away. I think I have 80 left. But I don't know. Can I push it before I have to call someone to help me get, you know, so that's kind of how I feel with the Lakers. Yeah. I also think LeBron is his ability to summon, not for, he's not going to do it for 48 minutes or 35 minutes or whatever he plays tonight, but like, for a five-minute stretch, he can summon that jump in the hot tub time machine, summon 2013 LeBron, and just, like, be that guy yeah. and take over a game. And I I think they're going to need a big Davis night. I think they're going to need some moments like that from LeBron, and they'll get – their depth has shown out. It really has. Maybe it's – maybe it's, yeah, it's – I mean, yeah, Russell games. There's been Rui Hachimura games, you know, yeah. Lonnie Walker. Somebody will step up. I think they're going to be good. I don't think they're as good as peak Warriors. We just – I. that's why I can't write the Warriors off. I just don't know if 
they're desperate, but I don't know if they're going to get peak warriors or if their depth issues finally catch up with them. So, yeah, yeah. And then this Denver Phoenix series, um, we saw it conclude. Yeah, and I mean, in like an exclamation point fashion. Yes. And I remember a couple games ago. I gosh, I can't all these games. Can't remember which one exactly, but I remember that the the Suns were up. Like KD and Devin Booker. This was on Friday. No, this was yeah, this was on Friday night. So a week ago. KD and Devin Booker had like 40 something points going into half. And the Suns had a 17 point lead, I think it was, a 15 or 17 point lead going going into the third quarter. <laughs> and I looked at my dad. I turned to my dad and I was like, this Suns team, I think is bad. Like I, I don't understand. Like I I I just don't I, I don't get this Suns team. And I was like, watch what happens this quarter. The end of the third quarter, Denver ended up taking a two-point lead. Yeah. And like, and I was thinking, how do you lose a 17-point lead with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant when both of them had over 20 in the first first half? And I and I saw that finally play out. I was like they just can't keep up with this Denver team, man. Denver has depth, right? And and not just depth, like not just Bruce Brown off the bench and what who's been fantastic and all these, you know, uh, Aaron Gordon's been amazing as a defender and score. They're they have the continuity nobody left has, I think. Like they maybe Boston, but Boston doesn't really show it. But they've been together in the same system with the same coach, and they just know what they're gonna do, they know what they want to do. Um, they're very confident in it, and so I'm they've been fantastic. I think they po- look, I think they're the best team in the West, whoever comes out of. I think the Lakers or Warriors, it's really interesting matchups and series. But I think people, I think there's a lot of us, a lot of fans still sleeping on Denver. Like, oh, I don't know, man. They don't have no, rim yeah. protection. It's Jokic. They've never done it. Like, I'm, I'm not sleeping on them anymore. I think that they're a force of nature in this in these in the West right now. They're the best team, and so we'll see who they who they play and what they do. And Phoenix, on the other hand, who I just. They go into – I've been writing on this. By the time people can listen to us, the, the story will be up at NBCSports.com. Corey, I mean, it's really pretty simple. I mean, they had to trade, remember, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, yeah. Jay Crowder, yeah. plus four mm-hmm. things and all this, to get Kevin Durant, and those were the guys – Yeah, that was the meat. Half. I mean, that, that's the meat and potatoes. You got rid of all the – like, the potatoes. It's just like, wait, like, what's left? Yeah. I've, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that, And that's where they are going into this offseason, which leads to – a really interesting problem for them. And it's going to lead to a lot of speculation because with the guys on their roster with remember Booker Durant and Deandre Ayton, who we haven't discussed and didn't have a really great series, all maxed out Chris Paul, $30 million next year, although not fully guaranteed. Um, they're actually into with six guys locked in on the roster for next year, six guys. So they've still got a lot of roster filling out to they're into the luxury tax. They're, they are so maxed out. So the speculation around the league, and then and this has been reported a few times today, there's a large expectation that they're going to move DeAndre Ayton or Chris Paul this offseason to get depth around Booker and Ayton. Uh, and and around them, Booker. Yeah, Booker and Durant. And both of them right now, you think that last game where they got you know absolutely crushed. Yeah. Paul, Ayton, both out. Yeah. You know, so I, I do I do think I think you're on to something. It, it is concerning. And this is like I said before, when I saw this trade, first of all, it was absolutely mind blowing. And then two, um, 
I, I just immediately thought I was in New York in the Upper East Side walking down to a meeting and I like I stopped and I just thought, didn't we just do this in Brooklyn? Like didn't like didn't we just do this? Yeah. <laughs> like didn't Brooklyn get do the same mistake and then did a three to four year absolute circus that then resulted in everyone forcing their way out yeah. after signing big contracts and now they're in completely depleted mode? Didn't like did, did not Phoenix didn't learn after getting a new owner. I'm like, did Phoenix not learn this? Like this happened four years ago. Like new owner, the same thing. Like what's going on? Like, yeah. so I was absolutely. I, I, it was a, look, Matt Ishby is a very aggressive, hold on to the ball kind of owner. Um, he is, he is. You couldn't resist. Yeah, I couldn't resist that. Uh, by the way, I thought the way Jokic handled that, like walking off the next. I love Jokic. I'm the biggest Jokic fan. I that was brilliant. No, he's I'm the I'm big Jokic. They're going. To, it's going to be an interesting offseason. Um, it's just like I said. They're going to try to trade Chris Paul, who both has value, but also has weird value as a contract if they can trade him at the draft, because he's owed thirty million, but only fifteen million and change of that are guaranteed. So if a team wants to save money, like mm-hmm. there's 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 moves there. Aiton's going to be interesting if they try to trade him. Because Aiton's yeah. good, but do you want him on your team at the max? Um, and that and that was exactly the whole Miles Turner question. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we and we we went with it, we walked through this whole thing. Remember last time it was like there was I didn't know he had like that much interest around the league and the Pacers. Remember, and then yeah. they they matched it and kept him there. So there was like there is I think some interest, but you're right. To me, not not the max. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's and that's the challenge. So. It is going to be a wild offseason. You're going to see that roster outside of Booker and Aiden could look radically different. Booker and Durant. Booker and Durant. I mean, Booker and Durant. I just keep saying it. Between Booker and Durant, they'll, 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 look, you've got the two hard pieces to get, but they've still got to figure a way to fill out everything around them. By the way, Corey, talking Phoenix and Denver ties us neatly into Corey's jukebox this week. Yeah, so still in rock and roll. <laughs> we're still we're, We still got all the, the rage and teen angst. You know, especially coming into this summertime, yeah. <clears throat> I thought, you know what, let's just lean into a different side of rock and roll. So I wanted to introduce Todd Rundgren to the podcast, Hall of Famer. And Todd Rundgren, you know, it's so interesting. But anyways, it's it's Something Anything is the album that is a pop masterpiece. It's a perfect pop album, 1972. It's an interesting one. I think it actually um, encapsulates the Nuggets pretty well, um, largely due to this idea. One, you know, Rundgren's music is like, pretty psychedelic and yeah. i don't yeah. know if you spent a lot of time well, in colorado yeah it's the, well, it's the early 70s so yeah it's just it's yeah, yeah i don't know if you spent a lot of time in colorado but i was just in the airport and a lot i mean a lot of tie-dye you know yeah. <laughs> a lot of like that's kind of like the whole vibe so that's like i thought that was a nice neat fit you know with the mountain psychedelic culture of like boulder and denver and stuff and then also this team like they're kind of like they do their own thing. And this is the thing I love about Todd Rundgren is, you know, he, he made his name as a producer. Right. And he's an unbelievable musician. But like he had the flexibility to to make this album something, anything, his third album, um, because he could do whatever he wanted. He had he, he had musical and creative flexibility because he already had, you know, the financial freedom of, hey, I already made money as a producer so I can take my time and make something excellent and make something unique and if you listen to it it's a concept album like the whole thing like he'll even like do these things like where he'll talk directly to the audience and say hey let's play a game and 
these are all the sounds of like bad, like, you know, uh, bad production quality. So if you hear this hiss or if you hear this hum, like try to find them in your favorite records. Like these are all the secrets. So he'll break down like the fourth wall. So it's like an artistic thing, you know, and it's also like every song is incredibly written and they're all like very sophisticated, but they go down easy, um, like, like tasty cough medicine. So I, I think in that sense, like Todd, this, this album is very much like the nuggets. Like, you know, it, the, the whole team is like, this kind of weird offbeat masterpiece, yeah. you know? Yeah, Rundgren's kind of a musician's musician, if you will, right? And I, are the Nuggets kind of a basketball junkies basketball team? Like, wow, they just... It is interesting. I mean, when they're healthy, it is interesting because Jokic is like, I mean, he is like a ball player. Like this guy, once again, like being a center and trying to and flirting with that triple-double average for the season on the number one team in the West. I mean, Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook are the only two people in the history of the NBA who did that, right? And you're talking about like a seven-foot center yeah. doing 24, 14, and 10. Like, that's yes. crazy. And he was like a, like a tenth away, Kurt. It's not no, like... No, it was like, just right there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like for him, and but he has no ego. Like, that's the craziest oh. thing about the whole, like the whole concept of like, you know, it's so like, to me, that level of like basketball dominance and excellence with no ego is like reminiscent of like the great Spurs teams. So I love that. And then like the way that like that whole team, Mike Malone, you know, they, they stand on issues that are important to them, but they also know when to focus on basketball. And I mean, and they're kind of like low key where they can be number one and everyone still sleeps on them. And they beat the Suns and everyone still focuses on the Suns and on Denver. You know, like I, I think I think I think they like the idea of kind of being just out of the spotlight a little bit and being yeah it's going to be fun and they are they like I said I know who they, they know who they are it's going to be interesting they are a team that knows their system and will kill you with back cuts will kill you with isolation will kill you with Jokic and like, and his passing just because they can beat you a lot of different ways um, yeah. and, those, and that, have- that's the most dangerous team in the playoffs right somebody who's like oh. You want to play that one? Okay. Yeah, I would say Philly is up there too. Because, you know, like <laughs> I know you said that the continuity, but the Heat have continuity, although the injuries kind of derailed that, you know, but the Heat yeah. culture is still there. It's still, you know, very, very strong. And then Philly, they've been together for a long time. I know the injection of Maxi recently, in the past couple of years, Martin, and then Martin most yeah, recently yeah. kind of changes things. But the core of that team is still like, you know, Doc and, and Joel, like I think they kind of built something pretty strong. But yeah, Denver though, they're like I said, like Todd Rundgren, where they're one of the few teams in the entire NBA, I think, where they're like, let's give this experiment eight years. And like we don't have like no outside pressure. We don't care about like we don't have crazy media attention. We're not forced to make any moves. You know, it's not like I don't know if you've seen those interviews where people get like, I'm pretty sure my my job is you know pretty secure as a head coach. Why are you guys ask me these questions? And then like a, a week or two later you know, you're kind of putting my job into jeopardy by asking me all these questions. Yeah. And like two weeks later, they're fired, right? <laughs> like that doesn't happen in Denver. No, no, they're incredibly stable. So let's go to Kurt's corner now. now I, I, I want to throw it to you because some big news. Coach uh, K is now a special advisor to basketball operations. We, we probably can, you know, figure since he coached well and, you know, yeah. like 40 plus years, he probably wouldn't stay in retirement very long. And he did not. No, um, nobody's quite sure what this job entails. He'll be speaking to the GMs at the GM Summit next week at the, uh, um, the Combine. Uh, there's a Combine GM Summit. Everybody kind of gets together, um, except for the GMs of the team still playing largely, um, in Chicago next week for uh, for meetings. And he's going to speak to them. 
he is a wealth of basketball knowledge and information and a great sounding board. I'm not sure what his role exactly is going to be. The, the special advisor, you know, role. I'm not, I'm not sure what that ultimately is going to be for the NBA, but uh, there are worse guys to have on the payroll, man. Yeah. I think the way that I think about this is, is pretty simple. You know, one, I think the NBA does a very good job of keeping people um, engaged in the family, you know, like, um, so if you are a legend, I mean, and think about this, Coach K was on the coaching staff of the 92 Dream Team. Yeah. So, I mean, you think, and so like, like that's the kind of like wealth of basketball knowledge you're talking about, not just like 20 years, 30 years, like 40 years yeah. spanning, like the evolution of like, were games still on tape delay, you know, in the NBA to like what it is right now. Like, let's figure out how to do this on social media and like NFTs. Like he's seen everything, mentored all the stars, all these Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah. And he's seen everything at the college level. Yeah. yeah. College, college and Olympics and NBA level. Uh, so I, so if you have that kind of like wealth of knowledge um, and you want to, to kind of make sure we don't forget our roots and still look forward, the best way to do that is, hey, you know, be our advisor, get you on our board of trustees, if you will, and, and have a direct line to the commissioner. And then also, you know, show your appreciation by, by compensating that person. So I think that is great. And I think too, I think this also is really interesting as far as like um, uh, what this then shows like the future generation of NBA people is like, you know, we take care of our yeah. own. And I think that doesn't happen in other leagues. So I think that's a very, very, very wise thing, especially after they did all the NBA awards and renamed everything yeah. to kind of make sure they re, you know, uh, reburnish the, the pantheon of like who's important in our league and why are they important in our league and like let's teach the next generation. I think having Coach K on staff is like a great sign to like the current Hall of Famers who are like, okay, there's a room, there's space for me. Yeah, and I think your point about the NBA trying to, if, I think around the 75th year last year and stuff, just – really trying to, I don't want to say, I think expose a younger generation to roots that they don't know exist, right? Like, you know, um, I, I think that this is part of that. He, there's a, here's a guy who, like you said, who has been around since the Dream Team has been, even though he didn't coach in the NBA, has influenced the NBA in so many ways. that It's, it's a good guy to keep around. It's a good guy to be able to have as that kind of sounding board and face when you need it for stuff. So, um, And with the, with the draft, you know, it's interesting too. You want to talk about the draft now or do you want to wait a little no, bit? We can, do, we can do the draft now because he's there. Um, I find the draft lottery just fascinating and, and, and franchise changing. And it's, it's wild because Corey, you've been around this, these front offices with spreadsheets and, 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 Chat room, not chat room. Well, it's a the war rooms, the war rooms, war rooms, planning their, planning everything out for. I mean, they like if you're a GM, you're talking six years out, seven years out. Hey, where not only where are we now, if and where are we, you know, in Phoenix, like how do we get these guys around Durant, and and how do we make these change? But you already are thinking, that, what? How do we evolve past this when Durant steps away and we turn this into the book? Like you've got to plan all this out. All that planning now is at the whim of some ping pong balls, man. Like it's everything, everything can be upended. Um, and when you think about this draft in particular, I think it's fascinating when you picture how much getting Victor Wimbayamba or frankly, Scoot Anderson at two, but Wimbayamba number one, I mean, 
the Detroit Pistons get him, put him next to Kate Cunningham with Jaden yeah. Ivey and they'd yeah, be, be a force. Houston Rockets, well, yeah. you think about the Rockets? Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. No, this, this and is altering. What about your Spurs? Like if your Spurs it would it would Heart it would still. bring back Heart it would still. bring back the Duncan I mean I would say instantly bring back the Duncan Robinson era, but like this is a organization that knows how to build long term. Yeah, no. It's crazy. Hard be still. It'd be I am trying not to think too much about it until I see the ping pong ball fall. But, but yeah. Would, yeah, I'll tell you the other one that would be to me would be you know what quietly they might be rooting for at uh, at NBA headquarters. Charlotte Hornets, they're fourth. They got like a 12.5% chance. You put LaMelo Ball and Wimbayama next to each other, and you've just created maybe a very good basketball team, probably a very good basketball team. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. More importantly for the NBA in some ways, you just created a social media juggernaut. You've- yeah, I, I think – so, yeah, this is interesting. You know, we talk about – Franchise altering, it certainly can be. But I do think, you know, it, the way that I look at the draft, and like I said, you know, the draft is is very strange to me for a lot of reasons. Particularly, it's so hard to evaluate all these young yeah. players, and they don't even mature for another seven, eight years, and they all the contracts, how you keep them interested, everyone can force their way out if you're really that good. So it is kind of, it's like an interesting kind of like toss in the air. Here, it's pretty evident who the best players are. But it reminds me, once again, of Hakeem. You know who else was in that draft? Jordan. Bowie, <laughs> Michael Jordan, taking that number three. Yeah. Let, let me let's just. Uh, let, I just want. I just want to say that again because this. You have no idea. I stared at my phone when I was reading this. I was like, "Get out of here!" Yeah. Hakeem was the best player in college. You know, he like willed yeah, that yeah. Houston team to like the Final Four. How many times? Right. Sackler, yeah. And then the he was number one consensus overall. People were like, "This guy, yeah. he's a like a force of nature, absolute physical like yeah. specimen. What he can do, like playing, he grew up playing handball, so like the, like and, and uh, goalkeeper. So he's like, man, like this guy's footwork is unbelievable at that size. We've never seen anything like it. Much like people are talking about Wimbanyama, right? Like this right, is right. just absolutely crazy. Everyone was like, Hakeem is absolutely consensus number one overall draft pick, and he was correctly chosen at number one. And all the while, Michael Jordan." And by the way, that team beat Hakeem. James Worthy and Michael Jordan beat Hakeem in the championship. to On, win on a Jordan shot. On a Jordan shot. <clears throat> and he was taking number three. Look at that draft. Who do you think won? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of my point is that, like, this is – I understand all I the about one, but, yeah, but, like, there's always room, you know? Like, that's why I love about the draft is, like, two, three, yeah. four. Well, and that would be a better choice. And that's what's wild. I don't think – look, Wembyama is going to be Wembyama, but and, and Scoot Henderson will go, too. But, like – Starting to do draft prep and like, Amen Thompson, for might be the best athlete in this draft. Like he is an absolute freak athlete. Right now he's not able to really score. Like he's just raw. He can't. His offensive game. He can't really score outside six feet. But this is where I think NBA teams are now better suited for some of this stuff. They're really good. The Spurs have been the masters of player development for ages. The the Raptors have been great at it. The Jazz, frankly, have been really good at it. Um, I mean, because Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were not topic. Like, you get somebody in the right system, and they develop these crazy athletes. And like, hey, no, we're going to get you a jumper. Give us two years. You're going to be knocking down, and everything opens up. And so, yeah, it's it's the fun part of the draft is is the craziness of it and the randomness of it. But so much matters in player development these days. Like the the ability to take the guy that you draft at 15 
and turn him into just a quality rotation player that's on your roster for eight years is huge. That's where I think guys like, you know, I think L.A. honestly has done a really great job of looking past, you know, obviously yeah. the, the top talent speaks, you know, like I think it's just like an art, great art announces itself, whether you understand it or not. It's like that provocative, that's excellent. You know a masterpiece when you see one. I think in sports, it's very similar. Like you watch Mbappe play soccer, you're like, that guy is really yeah, good. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about soccer, that guy's really good. You watch Serena play tennis, you're like, whoa. You know, like, so I feel like it's the same way with this, but the, the latter part of the draft, especially now, especially since you opened up the world, you know, like you're looking at evaluating talent in France and all over the world. This is uh that's where GMs make their money. And obviously no one's better historically, you know, in the past few years than OKC. I mean, they drafted <laughs> three guys that went on to win MVPs, you know, like, yeah. and, then, and then you look at, they yeah, and then the Lakers, and they're still like SGA, like Shaggy Gilgis Alexander make his first, a first team all NBA above guys like Donovan Mitchell, like pretty incredible. Exactly. And then the Lakers, honestly, they've been very good at picking talent. They just can't keep it. <laughs> well, they, they made a conscious decision to send a chunk, a lot of it out. Some of it mistakenly for Russell Westbrook, but they also, like the Brandon Ingram and guys for Anthony Davis is a trade they make again. They, they got the, you got the ring. So, you know. You got the ring, it worked out. But let's talk about the All-NBA teams. Um, yeah. So let's talk first team All-NBA. Just walk me through first, second, and third teams and, and what you thought. Um, and you probably have got them right up in front of you in easier seats. Uh, first yeah, team cool. All-NBA, Luca. Luca, first team All-NBA was Luca, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. That was actually – those were the five guys I had um, on the first team. You could fudge this a little if you wanted to. And put Luca at forward so you could get in another guard and you could have slid you can slide Jokic into the forward spot and get him on your first team if you really want to. I this was my first five. This, this I had no problem with that first team. Um and frankly, I didn't think the, producer Dan's going to now like I might get cut off after I say this. I didn't have really have a problem with any of them. Um going as we get into the second team and third team, even though that left Jalen Brunson out. Um <laughs> and I know Nick fans were up in arms. Um, and I didn't, I would have had Brunson on before Randall. Um, but I don't think that there was some egregious, like, uh, how did that guy get on there? I have a question for you. Yeah. You're building a franchise. Who do you think is a better person? Oh, that's uh, mm. not fair. Cause I think there are only three or four guys that you could build a franchise around and be right. Who do you think is, is better? Shy, Shay Gilgis Alexander or Trey Young? Oh shit! I, I, would, I would rather have Gildas Alexander tomorrow. And partially, which is amazing. It's amazing to you know, like I never thought about that comparison. But I'm like, huh? If I'm Atlanta, we're talking about like you know, yeah. Phoenix has a whole issue. But Atlanta moving forward, like that, that's kind of concerning that it's so quick that you're like, yeah, Gildas yeah, Alexander. I don't, and I don't want. I think Trey has incredible value. I think he's a borderline. He's an All Star, borderline All NBA level player. Um, but Shea is better at lifting up the guys around him, and I don't want to. I don't want to go down the Trey Young rabbit hole. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, but, but I, I think Shea. I, 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 he's changed the timeline in OKC. Like, yeah, remember they, I think that's kind of they got all these picks, and now it's like, you know, we can, especially with with Chet Holmgren coming back next year yeah. and everything they've got. Suddenly they get they get good fast. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I meant by with, with Gilgis Alexander is that when I think about when I'm just like in my apartment or like I'm talking to friends about this or whatever, colleagues, top NBA guys, you know, like 
I always put, I never put Gilgis Alexander in that first. It never comes to me immediately. Yeah. You know, I would always think, oh yeah, Trey Young's yeah. probably up there before I go to Gilgis Alexander. But you look at the paper and I think, I think you're right where Gilgis Alexander is doing something that's interesting to the point where like, how good is he? You, you know, like, I, so I need to give him a little more respect in that sense. And I, and I, congratulations at first. I mean, it's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. He's doing it. Um, LeBron James, 19 years in a row, third team deserved to be there. Um, my, my ballot was a little different. I had, I didn't have Randall in, but I did have um, Anthony Davis. Uh, the third team was you know, Darren Fox, who was deserving. Uh, Damian Lillard was on my second team, actually. Um, LeBron, Julius Randall. Demontis Sabonis was a lock. Like, usually he was the third best center. And it, it sucks. And I look forward to the challenge next year when it's positionless because I didn't love leaving Bam Adebayo off this because I think he had a really good year, but he was the fourth best center. And and I'm I'm locked in and and I guess I could have tried to slide him in it forward, but it gets it got messy. Um, and then for a second team, just so I can read it, you know, just oh, for editorial ahead. purposes, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, and Nikola Jokic. And by um, Donovan Donovan Mitchell, you made second team. Stop whining about it. I, I know you thought you should have been first team. No, you. I I thought Shea was better than you this year. So, um, but it, more than that, like. You made second team All NBA. You're one of the four top guards in the league. Chill. <laughs> Let's talk about the Mad Libs. This is fun. This is our we yeah. always like in the show. We start off with Bo Travai. We end with Dream Cars. Dan asked, "Well, our producer Dan yeah. asked us, okay, what's your dream car growing up?'" So I'm curious. You know, did you have one? What is your dream car? Are you currently driving your dream car? Yeah, I don't know. No, I am not driving my dream car. Um, I'm, I am. I don't have a car. Because so you're a potential advertiser here on the network, I will just say that I'm looking forward to getting rid of my car in a couple of years, just because it's bigger than I need now. And, uh, um, yeah. it, it, and I don't love driving it. Um, ideal car, honestly, like in a fantasy world where I don't have to transport other people much, I would want like a mid-60s Corvair, like the convertible Corvairs wow. that Chevy did in the 60s. Like th- those are just my sleek, ideal driving around and get that car, get in it, go to the coast, go all the way. I'm going to drive from LA to San Francisco, just up the coast in the Corvair, man. That That's my idea of like an ideal car. What about Listen you? The piano jazz. No, that's, yeah. that's very, that's very chic. <laughs> um, I, what about I mean, you? You, I, I, you love to drive. Yeah, I love to drive. I don't own a car. And um, my dream car is a Toyota Camry. I just love um, in New York, everyone, like, you know, the taxis are all Camrys. Yeah. And I'm just like, I just really want a taxi. <laughs> I, just, I just like, I just like really want a Camry. I, I don't really want to spend a lot of money on cars. I just want to be able to go from place A to B and like have a great, to me, the sound system is very important. The car itself is not important. I'm not trying to be able to go zero to 60 in a second. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not driving 140 miles per hour. You know, I'm not trying to impress some girl. Like, I literally just want a car that can act as a second apartment. I can throw stuff in. I can maybe drive, pick up friends if I want to go somewhere. And, like, the sound system is so next level. So I would get a Toyota Camry, and I would just, like, and I would get a really nice sound system and just listen to music. My second option would be a Vespa. I had a Vespa in college. Oh, that's And awesome. I just really love scooters. Yeah, yeah, I really love scooters. So I would, I would scoot around New York, scoot around Queens with my scarf and my Vespa. But I, you know, I was profiled in 
in college because I was that kid who would went around South Bend with a Vespa and a scarf, and I was in French class. And you know, uh, I I don't know if I want to relive you know getting picked so you're up. Not, after being you're there. not going to trick your Vespa out with like mirrors and go full who quadrophenia. This is more. Yeah, no, you know, like I said, to me, it's not like I. Everything that's cool, I don't want. Like I, like I don't want a Lamborghini. I don't want a Ferrari. Like I literally, like if it's cool, I'm not interested. I just want a Camry, and I just want a really nice sound system so I can listen to like opera, and pick up friends to go. I don't know upstate to go look at like art at Storm King. Like you know, like my life is very simple, but I can't afford you know like that like concept. Like mentally, I'm like I don't know if I want to. Just, I, I like having no car. I like the freedom of it. So, yeah, Corey, Corey will be buying a minivan, folks, in just a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not against the minivan now. You know, people are like, "Oh, minivan." You know, like I said, whatever is the least cool car, send me a list. I'm interested. You know, that's what that's what I want to buy. I want to buy the least cool car in the world, and right now it's settled on a camera. So anyway, Kurt, I can't wait until we talk next. It's always a pleasure. I always learn so much about you, and uh, and I learn a lot about basketball. So can't wait to talk playoffs with you next week. It'll be fun. Take care, Corey. Have a good week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.